You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit LifeLightChurch.org. Today, most churches celebrate Children's Sunday. So today is May. The first week of May is supposed to be Children's Sunday, and uh, some churches celebrate that. Korean in Korean churches, this is a huge deal. I think May fifth is Kids Day in Korea. Um, Children's Day. It's May fifth. It's Cinco de Mayo (laughs) here. So, and it's kind of, you know, funny that we, last Sunday, we talked about, we learned the story about how children, uh, how Jesus welcomed children, and that's really the perspective of the church. We want to be a church that welcomes children, and see children as how Jesus taught us in regards of children, how they receive the kingdom of God. You guys remember, last Sunday, children receive the kingdom of God, just as a gift, right? Without any expectation, without thinking twice, just receiving it as a gift. Um, and that's really what Jesus seeks us, receiving it as a gift, to know that we don't deserve it, but we have received it, and being grateful, and being humble. Right? So that's what we learned. Um, you know, my dearest memory in my childhood was actually being in church, being in children's school, being in the choir in children's school, and also VBS. VBS stands for Vacation Bible school. Some of you never gone to these things because a lot of you, you know, became Christian in your later later age. Uh, but VBS was great. I was singing, learning all these songs, and doing these games, and kind of like Young Life, of children's version of Young Life. Uh, and it was really fun. It's my fondest memory in the childhood was doing that. And um, and you know, I really hope that we as a church grow so we can do VBS. Um, Monica has mentioned, can we do VBS? It'll be like one-on-one VBS with Hannah. Um, we want to invite others too. Um, but it's a lot of work, but it's a blessing. It's a way to support and help out and reach out to the community. And also to the, really to teach the children is amazing. And the way they soak it in, um, the love of God is amazing. And in most cases, people who teach through the children's school, they, they, they're more blessed than the children and the work they do. So... Really hope we grow um, and we can do these things. And it's really hard in San Francisco, being a church in San Francisco. We don't have a building, we don't have places, so it's tricky. But I hope that we're able to find a way and to grow where we have the capacity to um, to ministry to children. My old church is I meet at my pastor's garage, and like two, three years later. No, actually, four years later, they found a building in Geneva, and it was a pretty good building. So, you know, we could totally do that. And, you know, the way they did it was, you know, they invited their friends, and their friends liked it. They just started coming to church, and um, they got a building years later. So nice. could do that. Yeah. Did you ever consider, like, connecting with a church, like Cornerstone? always do that and there are Nazarene churches too that we can do it with yeah but it's really working toward the ministry and no matter the capacity and sometimes it's God makes impossible possible so finding a way because we have burden and because we have passion for them right so as it was last Sunday I hope you continue to think about children 
um, their hearts for God and our burden to reach out to, starting with one and uh, and many that of those you know, you, some of you guys are young children, cousins or and siblings too. So anyway, that's uh, that was last week, and today we're moving in, and we're really learning how uh, masterful storyteller Luke really is, and we saw last week how he told a story about a rich man who couldn't give up, even though he came to brag about what he has to earn, to receive the kingdom of God. And when he had left, and Peter comes and says, oh, I've done this, can I get in? And uh, it's really that storytelling, which, which is amazing, always starting from the whole story about tax collector saying, uh, or the Pharisees saying, you know, thank God I'm not like the tax collector over there. And all of us think, well, thank God I'm not like the Pharisee, right? This is amazing storytelling by Luke, and it's going to continue. And especially for the next two Sundays, today and uh, next week, we're going to see some of that, how he's connecting the stories. And uh, what we find is that there is a deeper meaning in these stories than just what we hear um, in, the, you know, in, the, in the face. So, next week is going to be a lot of fun. Today is also a lot of fun. It's a good story. Um, it's a great story. It's the last miracle of Jesus recorded in Luke. So this is the last miracle of that Jesus has done in the Gospel of Luke. And it has significant meaning. It has kind of closing theme of what this was all about. And it has closing theme of what the miracle of God, Jesus, was all about. So let's go ahead and read. We are in Luke chapter 18, verse 31 to 43. And I'll start reading the verse 31, and you read the next verse. We good? Here we go, verse 31. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be com- accomplished. After they have flogged him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he shouted even more loudly. Son of David, have mercy on me. What do you want? For, what do you want me to do for you? He said, "Lord, let me see again." Immediately he gained. He regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, praised God. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the story. We thank you that you have blessed us to hear about it. We pray that as we hear your word, that our hearts will be moved, hearts will be opened, and mind will understand, and we will come to believe it and trust in your words. In Jesus' name, Amen. So there's two parts in the in the text we read today, and first part is from 40, verse 31 to 34, and it's about Jesus uh, foretelling his passion, the what is about to happen to him. So in verse 31 it says, Then he took the twelve aside and said to them. So he's telling his disciples, and he says, 
See, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So, he says he's going up to Jerusalem and this <coughs> traveling, this journey with Jesus and his disciples has started in verse nine, chapter 9, verse 51. You remember, that's when we divided the book. And uh, it reads, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's when his journey started in chapter 9. And now, it's almost, we're almost there. Because Jesus has approached and came to Jericho. And Jericho is town right outside of Jerusalem. So he's almost there. And Jericho, he's going through and there's a passion. I mean, Passover is near. So there's a lot of people. So he's almost there. Because he's in Jericho. And Jericho is, it's almost like if we're driving up to go snow trip, uh, to go to Tahoe. It, Jericho is like Auburn. Right? It's just this town right outside. It's the largest town right outside the destination. So they're almost there. So what he's saying here uh, in verse 32, in 30, 31 is that the purpose of God, everything that's been said about prophets in the Old Testament is going to be worked out. It's going to be accomplished. That's what he's saying. Everything that's said about prophets, everything that you learned about, everything that you hope for will be accomplished. In the coming days. So, what we need to understand here is, and I think we as a church, we as a community understand this better than most of other churches, that everything that's in the Old Testament is about who? It's about Jesus, right? It's really about Jesus. Genesis is about Jesus. You know, Exodus is about Jesus. Joshua is about Jesus. Uh, Kings is about Jesus. Isaiah is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So, we don't dismiss the Old Testament, but we want to properly understand better by seeing what it's about, which is about Jesus. You guys saw that there's a like a little track thing um, downstairs. We ordered, we thought we ordered like a short, simple Bible, but it wasn't. And uh, I told Josh that you know when you look at like shorter versions of the Bible, it's got what does it have? It's got Psalms and it's got New Testament. But when you think about it, New Testament, besides the Gospels and Acts, is pretty boring. It's about like how to do church, right? It's not really fitting for someone who wants to learn the story. So Josh, I told Josh, you know, we need to put together a better, shorter version of the Bible that has Genesis and Exodus and Joshua and Kings. It just tells the whole story about Jesus, which start, starts from Genesis. And just forget about all the letters, because they're kind of boring for the new, new Christians to hear about, you know, the story of God through Jesus, right? So, we need to remember and know that everything um, that's been said in Old Testament is about Jesus. And that's what Jesus has been teaching to Pharisees and to his people is everything that you know, everything that you have learned from childhood, the five books of Moses, it's about me. You need to properly understand. That's what he's been saying and that's what he's saying here is that all of that is going to be accomplished. So, verse 32, For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and he will be mocked and in and insulted and sped upon, after they flogged him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Rise again. So this is his prediction of what's to, what's to happen, and this is actually seventh prediction. He, this is his seventh saying of what's going to happen to him. So he's been saying quite a few times, and we read here, and he's speaking of himself in the third person, which is weird. Um, but is that what happens to Jesus, what you just read? We just went through Passion, right? Easter. Is that what happens to Jesus? Yes? Yes, right? We, we know it pretty, you know, pretty clear. 
Verse 34, but they understood nothing about these things. No one understands him. And he's told this many times. And I think I find it pretty amazing. He's told this over and over, and this is almost like he tells them with this intense voice. And they're just like looking at him with just blank in their eyes. Like, what are you saying? I don't get it. And you wonder, why is that they don't understand? Why do you think that? Maybe, you know, maybe it's just because they're so thinking too complicated, too complex. They're thinking, is he giving an analogy? Is this a trick question? Is he saying it literal? What does it mean? Is this a parable? Maybe they're thinking it too complex. Instead of taking it at face value, this is what he's saying. Or, I think more likely, is it because they are blinded by their expectations? Because they have something else in mind. And this isn't what they want to hear. This isn't what they're expecting to hear. And when you think about it, we are also slow to understand what God is doing in our lives because we have certain expectations. We hear it, we receive it in a way that we want to understand. We want to you know, perceive it, right? We see God only working out in certain ways. We understand this is how God works. This is how God will work through me, for me, around me. We see God only working in the pathway that we chose to go, right? I'm over here, God. Get in my way, right? Come on over here. And God is on the other, other completely different road. Get in my road because this is the road I'm headed. And if God is working in different ways, we don't understand. We are puzzled. What's going on? It's like I'm supposed to be, you know, top executive in Silicon Valley. What happened? Why am I not this? Isn't this how you will work through me, Right? We don't understand if it's not our own way that we chose to. So disciples and the whole crowd are blinded by their hope and dream of the Savior that they expected. They don't see it. They don't understand. So what Luke is doing here is making a connection between this story and the story that's about to come. These crowd and disciples who's been following Jesus are blind. And they're going to encounter a blind and that's the next story, is the blind beggar from verse 35 to 43. So verse 35 says, As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. He's a beggar because he's a blind. Not that he's blind and he's begging. He's begging because he's a blind. That's what happens when you're blind. right? You're unemployed. No one will hire you. You can't quite picture how a blind person would work well. Right? Uh, he's unemployed, he's that, therefore he's poor, therefore he's homeless. So the begging is the only way for him to survive. So you got to kind of picture this man on the side of the road. He's not clean, he's not well shaved, he's dirty, he's got beard, he's got hairs all over, he's got a dirty cloak on, he smells bad, he's got maybe like a jar, right? This guy is not pleasant or impressive at all. He's a beggar. And, you know, on top of it, he's, he's blind. So think of like, you know, you guys run into like a bagger, a bum on Great Highway. I, I used to run to. On Judah and Great Highway at the corner, there's a lot of bums, um, homeless people, right? They're kind of like that hair, long hair, beard, bunch of coat, because, you know, it's freezing in San Francisco. At least they have a cart, right? And they all kind of hang out together. You know, beggars, they hang out together, right? They stay the same place, similar area. Um, one time I was moving stuff, moving a couch from my buddy. My buddy lives in the corner apartment building. There's like four-story apartment building at the corner of Judah and Grand Highway. We were moving a sofa, right, from his 
fourth floor apartment down, right? And we're moving the sofa, and there's cushions. So we threw down the cushion to a little area, right, in, on, the, on the bottom. We threw the cushion down and moved the sofa. It took us a while because it's, you know, four flights upstairs. When we got to the bottom, cushions were gone, right? We're like, what the heck? And we see, like, bum running away with our cushions, right, in their little cart, running away. We're like, oh, man. It was gone instantly. <laughs> and there were so many of them too, right? So think about that. These bum on the side of the road, and they're together because this is a place to be. Jericho is the way into the city. Like I said, Auburn, everyone goes to in and out in Auburn and you know, go eat there, right? There's, it's crowded. This is a place to be. And there's a Passover happening, so all the travelers coming for Passover is going through Jericho. So they, this is a strategic place for the beggars to hang out. They're on the side of a road. You know, how perfect is it? You know, people who's going to God, see God, to confess their sins, and you ask them for money. There isn't a better place to beg for money. And this is why sometimes you go like in front of churches, there are a lot of beggars. Beggars know to come through church or church conferences or, you know, some kind of event because there's going to be people who would claim that they love God and they're there. Come on, give us some money, right? Um, you know, you know, they don't want, they want, they don't want to be, hip, you know, hypocritical. So people are more, you know, I think tend to give at these men, and they know it. So it's the same scene. Beggars are hanging out here because it's a good place to be. So you know that he's not alone. You know, there are a bunch of them, right? And most of them are blind, lame, they're sick, and it's not that because they're lazy, because their sickness and their condition has led them to be beggars. So verse 36 says, When he heard a crowd going by and he asked uh, what was happening, they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So we get to hear this story. This beggar, he's begging on the side of the street. There are a bunch of them there and he's maybe competing with them. And he hears this all the commotion. There's a whole lot of people than usual going. The whole mob of people is going through. Wow, I know this is a Passover weekend, but this is more than, unusual, more than usual. What is going on? So he asked people, hey, what's going on? What's going on? With his eyes closed, right? Because he can't see. And people say, oh, Jesus is not this going. He's passing by. And what we see here is, beggar, he shouts in verse 30, he, he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me means help me. Which, which indicates that he's heard of Jesus. Instantly, when someone said, Jesus is Nazareth is passing by, he knows, oh, I know this Jesus. He's heard of Jesus. He's heard the stories. He's never seen Jesus, nor can he see him now. But he cries out, Jesus, son of David, which means Messiah. That means he believes who Jesus is, just by the stories that he heard. He shouts out, because he believes what he has heard and who Jesus is, and he believes in the power of Jesus. Uh, in the newsletter, I told this you know brief story about Hannah. You know, Hannah's been sharing his story about Jesus and God in school with his, with you know, with her friends, and they argue, right? I told you, and and I guess you know someone said, well, how can you believe in Jesus? You can't even see Jesus. And um, Hannah asked Esther like one night, you know, how can I know Jesus exists when I can't see Jesus? So Esther was troubled. You know, she tried her best. And she had, came and asked me, you know, Hannah asked this question. You need to talk to her. Because you're a pastor. You probably have a better answer. I don't know if I have a better answer. So I actually asked some of you, like, what would you say? 
right? What would you say in this case to a child? Because it's difficult, not because their question is unusual, because of who they are. How do you explain, right? So, you know, one night we sat down and, and in the Bible we actually read this story, right? So, and I told her, so Hannah, um, how can you, you ask mommy, how can you believe in Jesus when you can't see him? And she said, well, I believe in Jesus even though I can't see him. So it wasn't really her question, but she was puzzled because of what others were saying. And, uh, oh, and it was really, when she said, oh, I was glad. And I said, oh, okay. But, you know, I'm a good teacher. So I said, well, how so? (laughs) 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 And she gave the best answer that I couldn't even think of, think of, which she said, well, because I heard stories. (laughs) And she believes the stories. And that was amazing. And you know, what's amazing about that is it matches what God calls us to do, which is tell the stories. That's what we've been told to do. God says, go out and tell, the, tell my stories. Tell the stories of Jesus. We're not expected to convert them to anything or make them believe. We're just called to, to tell them stories. And that's all it takes. She said, I just heard stories. The blind man is seeing even though he's blind, and those with sight is blind. They can't see. And this is a, there's a similar story to this in Gospel of John. You hear at the, in Gospel of John, there's a whole chapter story of Jesus healing a blind, and blind man heals, and, um, and his parents are there, and uh, neighbors there, and Pharisees there. Everyone's like puzzled. Like, how does this happen? Right? And blind's like, what? And everyone's puzzled. They're like, I don't understand. I can't see how this has happened, right? Everyone's blind, and blind man just goes... I was blind and now I can see. What's so you know difficult about this thing, right? Everyone's blind, but the blind man can see. So blind man is healed. Um, verse 42, Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has saved you. And Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, because this story is in all three Gospels, um, it's not the Gospels, Matthew tells us that Jesus touched the man's eyes, and Jesus opened the eyes of the blind, and beggar is saved. Another word for this, translation, same word also means made well. And you guys went through in chapter 17 when 10 lepers were healed and they came back and Jesus said, you've been made well. Same meaning as saved and well. So this is not just a story of healing, but also salvation. This is a story of both. So what an amazing story. And I have made out of this a dummy's guide to get well. Because Jesus said, you've been made well. You're well now, right? So here's the guide. Step number one. Know that you're blind. We need to know and accept that we're blind. Because blindness keeps us from seeing God truly. And you read the Gospel of Mark, which is the first Gospel that's written. And Mark kind of goes through this really well. There's a story from chapter 8 to chapter 10, where Jesus heals the blind, but not completely, because blind man, he puts mud on the blind guy, and blind man, and he asks, do you see? And he said, like, I, I kind of see, but people are moving like trees. It's not clear, it's blur. And you read that story, and you go, what happened? Did Jesus run out of power? Did he, did he not get a good mix of mud? And he does it again, and he says, oh, now I see clearly. Right? At the end of chapter 10, is this story where Jesus says it, 
and he's completely healed at one side, and he's able to see completely. What Mark was doing is showing that his disciples, even though they've been following him and been with him, is kind of blurred. They're not seeing it clearly. And what had happened is, at the end, they will see clearly is what Mark was trying to do. So the blindness is linked how we don't see God clearly. And you, we hear in the Paul story, when Paul saw Jesus, fell out of the horse, what became of him? He became blind. And when he went to Barnabas and finally understood what he saw, he was healed. He was able to see again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 4 it says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The blindness keeps us from seeing God. So which means, when we are the step one, when we're admitting that we're blind, we're admitting that we are blind of God. We don't see God. This is why you go and explain stuff to other people about Jesus, God, and they're like, I don't get it. I don't see this. Yeah. You know, because they're blind. They just don't see it because they're blind. And we're also blind of who we are. People who are blind of who we are, who's unable to see God, thinking that we're scrambling, we're fighting, we're not worthy, we need to own our ways, we're miserable, we have no rights. When we are, in the truth, is the heirs of kingdom, and prince and princes, children of God. Because we don't see who we are, and we don't see who other people are. We're blind of who are other people. That we don't see them as God sees them. So in the end, blindness is wickedness. Blindness is sin. When, so when the Bible talks about blindness, it's talking about that we are in sin. First John chapter 2, verse 11 says, The darkness has brought on blindness. The darkness makes us blind. And when you think about it, religion which is system of beliefs with structure and to-do list, is also blindness. And, um, you know, Pharisees, which is blindness, at the religion in, in the way that we understood here, are called blind guides. And uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, he goes off. Jesus goes off on Pharisees. And he says this, in verse 16, he says, Would to you, blind guides. Verse 17, you blind fools. Verse 19, how blind you are. Verse 26, you blind Pharisees. Jesus talks of them as blind. And you know, he talks about blind guiding blinds. You know, these people in religion, they don't know God. They don't see God. They don't see who they are. And they're trying to guide people. It's blind guiding blinds. So we are the, as in this story, we're the blind man. We're the blind man. And the story today, the great thing about it is, isn't something that Jesus did 2,000 years ago, but it's what Jesus is still doing. Healing blind men. John chapter 9, verse 39, Jesus says, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. And he goes off and saying in verse 40, he says, Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind... You could not have sinned. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. So the first step is to admit that we are blind. We have proclivity to be blind. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> step two. 
<laughs> believe who Jesus is. So all of you heard heard the story of Jesus, and really the question is, do you believe it? Do you believe the stories you've heard? When um, I had a neighbor um, when I was living in 48th, and you know I got fired. I was really passionate about God, and and he asked me about faith. So I got to really share about my faith, right? What I believe. And uh, as I was telling the story about my faith, and he's sitting there in front of me on the table, and I'm at his house, right? And I'm sharing the story. As I'm sharing, in the back of my mind, I'm going, this is a crazy story. (laughs) I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm sharing this story. It's whacked, right? Right? You know, God created world, and God's son came down and died on the cross, and somehow saved my sins, and 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 was rise, rose again and and I'm thinking this is crazy, and he's just going mm-hmm, <laughs> and at the end of it I say, yeah that's crazy isn't it? <laughs> and he goes mm-hmm, <laughs> right? It, it was kind of like I I felt like I was a fool, and it was a foolish story to tell. But at the end I say yeah it's crazy but I believe it. So the point is it's a crazy story. Story of Jesus. Story of God. The question is, do you believe it? Because faith is not only about knowing the truth, it's about believing it. And it's not about just believing it, it's about trusting it, so that you act upon it. You depend on it. You know, you cash in that truth. Right? So, what we see in this story is, faith precedes sight. And believing is seeing. Because we see a blind man here who sees Jesus by faith. Calling Jesus Son of David. Calling Jesus Lord. So it's not any faith, but it's faith in Jesus. It's not that his faith saved him. It's Jesus who saved him. It's not his faith healed him. It's Jesus who healed him. Do you believe in the object of your faith, Jesus? Do you believe in it? Do you trust Jesus is the question. So that's step number two. Keep hearing stories of Jesus and believe it. Not only believe it, but trust Jesus. Step number three. Know what you need the most. Here, Jesus asked the blind man an obvious and yet focused question. In verse 41, Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is saying, what do you want from me? It's obvious, but it's a very focused question. So the question is, what do you want from Jesus? So think for a moment, Jesus is like a genie, which is horrible, horrible analogy. <laughs> think of that Jesus is like genie. When we were in Disneyland, we saw the play, and it was the, um, what's the story? The Aladdin. Prince of uh, Aladdin, right, Aladdin, right? Think of Jesus as a genie. And I think it's a fascinating story because it makes you really think, what is are three things I can ask for, right? Squeeze that down to one, right? Jesus is genie, not so much, but in that way, right? Whole new world, um, whole new point of view. What would you ask? Right? If Jesus said, what do you want from me? The, the blind man said, let me see again. What do you want? What is the single focused, desperate desire that you would ask of Jesus? What would you ask? 
And, you know, the, our answers are sometimes are limited by um, our expectation and immediacy. It's either something that I need most, like I want Xbox 360, or I need this job. If Jesus comes and asks you, what do you want from me? What can I give you? Sometimes our answer is, it's kind of dumb. It's like immediate. I need to get into this school. I need this job. I need this relationship. I need good boyfriend. I need, you know, hot girlfriend. Whatever. Is that what you would ask? Or is it limited by your expectation of thinking, well, what can you give me? That's asking the capacity of Jesus. Like, I don't know. What do you do? What can you do for me? So our answers are limited by our expectation of Jesus. I don't know if you can do this. What would you ask Jesus? If Jesus came and asked, you get one wish. Or oh, actually, we get more than that. But if he says, what can I do for you? What do you want from me? How would you answer if Jesus asked you, what do you want me to do for you? Step number four. If you receive the sight, then follow Jesus. Verse 43, immediately he gained his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people, when they saw it, praised God. Because, you know, the goal here, the purpose, the point of it all, isn't to be healed. The point of it is, the goal isn't to be saved and to go to heaven. The goal is to have life. And to have life to the fullest and to have that for eternity. That's the goal. And for in order for that to happen in our lives, we have to die to ourselves, let go of all things that give us suffering, all the hopeless things, and follow Jesus. That's what this man did. The blind man was not only healed, but he became well. He lived well because he followed Jesus. And how do we know? Because we know his name. His name is Bartimaeus. We read about him in Mark 10. When Mark tells the story, he tells, this is Bartimaeus. And, and he must have been, and there is a church history that he was known. He was a legendary. He followed Jesus all the way. He lived the life of disciple. He was legendary so much that Mark mentions his name. But I imagine that in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, they didn't even need to mention his name. Because you tell this story, everyone knew who he was. Because he was so legendary. And can you imagine his testimony? He would say, yeah, you know, I was blind, but now I see. Literally, right? Literally. That's what happened to me. He has an amazing story. Jesus not only made him well, I mean healed him, he made him well. His life was thing of a legendary where he gave his life following Jesus. And he said, all people, when they saw his life, praised God. That's what happens. It almost seems effortless, right? In theory, not so much, but that's what happens. When we follow Jesus, people see our lives, they praise God. So, let me close with this. The question here is, do you want to see? Do you admit your blindness? And do you want to see? And, you know, my desire is to see Jesus. That's my desire. Um, there are hymns, a lot of hymns that you sing. It ends with the last verse, last stanza of the hymn is that I'm going to see Jesus. We're going to see Jesus face to face. And, you know, that's the desire of my heart. I've seen it once and I want to see him again. Yes. And, Every night, when I'm conscious enough, not, you know, just dropping, I think about, I wish that I would fall asleep and I would die. I do, 
Because there is nothing greater in, that I want than to see Jesus. Um, it's not that my life is bad. My life is wonderful. And I love my family and I love all of you. But I want more to be with Jesus. Because I want to see Jesus. Because that's the greatest desire of my heart. Nothing else matters. Nothing else that I want. But in life, I also get blinded. I also become blind. You know, I, darkness comes, it sneaks in, it creeps up, and I become a blind. I forget the side of who God is. I forget the side of who I am and the people. So my constant prayer also becomes that, God, I want to see you clearly every day. And I want my desire to be seeing you. And so that I know who I am in you. And who the people I need to reach out to and serve. So the question is, how has blindness led you to be a beggar? Right? Scraping through life. Competing with other beggars and fighting with other beggars and desperate and hopeless. Has your blindness led you to be a beggar? Or will you ask Jesus to give you sight so that you can become and know that you are his children. You are prince and princesses. And you have life with hope. So what do you want Jesus to do for you? Do you want to see? you see what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you will help all of our hearts. You would shape all of our hearts to be wanting nothing else but to see you. Because to see you is to have life. And to see you is to have real joy and real peace. Because there's no one, there's nothing greater. Lead us, Lord, to desire to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.